So uh, I am not a, a football fan at all, really, but I did strap in for Euro 2020 final uh, a few weeks ago. Is it too soon to talk about this? Is that, are we okay? All right, we'll see. Um, I strapped in there, so beer in one hand and a bowl of chips in the other there, and, uh, and heart poundings, I watched the first half, heart poundings, I watched the second half, and the extra time first half, and the extra time second half, and the penalties, and I, I, was, I was committed. I was there for the whole thing. Because it was the event that Sunday night, wasn't it? And no one was really doing anything else. No one was talking about anything else. That was the news of the hour. Unfortunately, it turned out to be sad news. Um, but it wasn't too long after the, you know, trying to purge the adrenaline rush uh, post-match that uh, another news story began to emerge that uh, people were identifying the three people who had missed penalties with the color of their skin. Went from a sad story to a really ugly story, a horrific thing. And uh, there was lots then of people who piled on, rightly pointing out this was wrong, there was finger pointing, there were political point scoring, um, and I think to a certain extent, the, probably the media, the way it does these things, it had its own feeding frenzy as a result. And what was interesting was that although everyone was saying that that's wrong, it's interesting the different motives uh, behind people speaking. You could start to sense some of the character of the people who were speaking about it. How someone shared that news actually said a lot about them. And the most uh, sensible and heartening thing I think I heard was someone who said, what does it say about me that I live in a country where people would say that? Really helpful, wasn't it? Uh, just that kind of attitude that says, I am part of this, even as I point and say this shouldn't be. The motive for sharing the news mattered, perhaps more than people were prepared to admit. Well, the news we're talking about today is, is news, it's the gospel, it's literally good news in every way. It's the message of Jesus, God's son, and what he did to bring humanity, life with God. And God's plan has always been to send Jesus, this is always the news in his mind, uh, and this plan of who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us, we, we summarize as the gospel, the good news. And the good news of Jesus isn't just information, uh, it's not just words on a page, it's uh, news of a reality that demands a reaction. So if I say, uh, I love you, nothing, okay, well, that's a reaction too, it's a rejection, that's fine. Uh, but someone saying, I love you, normally requires some kind of reaction, doesn't it? Or if I said, uh, you know, your hair, well, sorry, sorry, Dave, Paddy, your hair's on fire, you know, that, that, would, that would demand a reaction, wouldn't it? If it was true. Uh, and sometimes news contains within it the need to share it. So you have a baby. And that's amazing and wonderful. And after you've recovered from having a baby, you want to share the news with everyone. That's what great news to share. Or if you see somebody crossing the road and a car's coming along at speed, well, that news requires sharing, doesn't it? You want to shout, watch out. Sometimes the news has within it, baked into it, that kind of demands a reaction. And in the gospel, the plan is to spread faith in Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit to the furthest corners of the globe. It's one of the major themes of Acts. We get to see how the early Christians did this in the days following Jesus' return to heaven. And there are obstacles to this great news moving to the ends of the earth. There's, there's opposition from within, there's, there's accusation, there's threats of violence, there's actual violence, there's politics, there's prison. And here in Acts chapter 10 is one of the big ones. Essentially, it's racism, which threatens to overwhelm the gospel. 
with that first century Jewish perspective, the, the early Christians had come from a Jewish background, with that, that first century Jewish perspective, which had, had actually uh, taken on board God using Israel as a nation to, to bless all the world, and they kind of twisted it to be this sort of superiority complex. Would that leak into the church? Would that start to contaminate what the church thought too? If left unchecked, would it deny God's purpose that all people hear the gospel as well as deny his character, his gracious and impartial goodness? It's a real threat, isn't it? How could a church which denies the God of the gospel be authentic in sharing the gospel? Well, hopefully you've got Acts chapter 10 in front of you. I will dive into bits and pieces. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. I'll dive into bits and pieces as we go. It'll be helpful for you to see what's here. I've really got four headings, uh, four things to say. Some are bigger than others. See, firstly in Acts 10, what happens is God sends an angelic messenger to show Cornelius, this captain of the Roman occupying forces, his need for the gospel of Jesus. That's what kicks this whole thing off. Cornelius is this guy, he's trying to be good and spiritual, and this guy is commended by an angel for his prayer life and his charitable works. But despite that, the angel says, actually, you're missing something. You still need to hear this message that Peter can share. You need to hear the gospel. Uh, Chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, and 22 and 33, and 11, verse 14, different places where it's clear he needs this message that Peter can tell him. And when Peter turns up and speaks to this uh, crowd of people, he says in verses 36 to 38 um, that actually they know a bit already. He says, you know that, you know how. And he's talking about Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his miracles that happened in Judea, the northern part of Israel, right on Cornelius' doorstep. So if Cornelius had opened the, uh, the Caesarean times, uh, he would be reading about this radical rabbi who's going around doing all these things. Cornelius has heard about Jesus, but he hasn't heard enough. What's new to him, what's new news to him, is verse 39 onwards, where Peter says he has first-hand experience of seeing Jesus die and rise to life again. Uh, that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, that forgiveness with God could be had in his name. So they knew of the miracle-working rabbi. They didn't know of the Son of God who came to save. That's what they needed to hear. Now, I've got to say, for lots of people, um, the idea that a sincerely spiritual and, uh, and charitable person like Cornelius would need more to be right with God is surprising, May- maybe even shocking. Um, think of people we think of uh, doing good works, people who are... Uh, big and so, so Marcus Rashford, Captain Tom, people we look at in the last little bit who think they've done great things, and they have, and they're admirable and inspirational. And yet God would say to them, actually, you need to know Jesus. Cornelius is commended by an angel, and yet he still needs to hear the news about Jesus and to accept that for himself. And can I say, if that's you, if that surprised you this morning, then it's worth stopping and really thinking that one through, isn't it? What would it be to, to be good enough for God? What would you have to do? What would you have to say? What would you have to think and hold an attitude of heart to be good enough for God? You might look and say, actually, I've done quite a lot of my life that I'm proud of, and, and that's great. You can be a Captain Tom and raise millions of pounds for, for charity. That, that's phenomenal. 
But if the standard's higher, you've fallen short. I think the highest residential building in the world is 538 meters. That's really impressive, over half a kilometer high. That's impressive, unless your target is the moon, in which case you're a couple of billion meters short. We need to ask, what does God ask of us? What does a holy God want of people? And as God uses Peter to speak to Cornelius uh, at the end of the passage, verse uh, 18 of chapter 11, he talks about repentance that leads to life. Actually, what Cornelius needs to do, despite his God commending his prayers and his charity, is to come before God and to drop them and say, God, these things don't make me good before you because my heart is against you and against others. I'm not as kind as I should be. I'm not as loving as I should be. I'm not as caring as I should be. I harbor these thoughts in my heart. And before you, I don't praise you like I should, like I've been wonderfully made by you. I don't do that. I need forgiveness. I need to say sorry. I need to ask that Jesus cover my sin with his death. But that is a message he doesn't know at the moment. So God sends a messenger to show Cornelius his need for the gospel. But then as the camera sort of zooms out from Caesarea down the coastal road over the heads of the sort of three-person walking Uber that Cornelius has sent to pick up Peter and in towards Joppa, we find that Peter is not ready for this. He's not ready at all. And so God has to show Peter by means of a vision that his heart towards Gentiles, towards non-Jews, is not right. And, and God doesn't say, oh, well, I'll send him some nice Gentiles, some friendly Romans, so he can see that you know, th- these people he's been pushing away are, are nice people, uh, you know, share a common humanity. He doesn't do that. He shows him that his attitude of heart was opposed to God's heart. Just hear that for a moment. The lead apostle of Jesus' people at that time had a heart that was opposed to God's heart in this respect. And God uses a vision, repeated three times for emphasis, using the analogy of clean and unclean food items in the Torah to explain to Peter that these things aren't special or terrible in themselves, but they're a helpful analogy for Israel to understand what it meant to be a a chosen but, but sinful people living with a holy God. What does it take? God declares things clean and unclean. And he says right now, it's all clean, Peter. And Peter's confused by this. It must be hard to think of overturning a set of thinking that that he's been engaged in for years, rightly or wrongly, in different ways. Uh, Maybe Peter felt he was pretty open already. He was living with Simon the Tanner. A tanner spends his time touching dead animal skins, and that's guaranteed to make you unclean for temple worship. Maybe Peter was thinking, ah, well, I spoke to that Ethiopian official on the, the southern road from Jerusalem just recently. Maybe Peter thought in a first century way that he was pretty woke. I don't know. But in verses 19 and 20, he's still mulling over the meaning of the vision. He hasn't got it yet. When the men arrive and the Holy Spirit nudges him and says, hey, go with these guys. And there's a step forward. Peter invites these Gentiles, including a Roman soldier, into his house. And he goes with them up to uh, Caesarea. And he enters the house of Cornelius. Again, another massive step. Verse 27. While talking with Cornelius on the doorstep. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you're well aware it's against our law, that's small L law, that's traditions, 
for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And after hearing from Cornelius about his vision, Peter finally gets it. It all clicks into place. And uh, he sees the gospel of Jesus is for everyone because it matches God's heart. So verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, partiality, bias, but accepts people from every nation. I now realize just how true it is that God does. He, he knew it beforehand that God's not doesn't play favorites, and yet he now sees how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The God who, who graciously saves people who've got nothing to offer but their rebellion and sin, nothing to offer, is so gracious he's willing to give up the life of his son to bring them to himself. He's gracious at, at, at the basest need for humanity which transcends all other boundaries of humanity. In the 21st century, uh, I think equality for, in our society often locates itself uh, in a sense of, uh, sort of self-determination for human beings. We have sort of self-esteem movement, a self-identification movement, which are seeking to correct uh, things of the past. And they've got some positive things about them. But followers in Jesus see that God gives infinite value to human beings that way, Vertically, not horizontally. So Psalm 139, we matter because we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Psalm 8, what are human beings that God cares for them? The psalmist asks. Seeing the, the, the gracious, the holy, the universe creating God, God really cares for human beings. I don't, I don't care about the speck of dust on the sole of my boot, but God cares for human beings. So in the back row, human beings, very small. God cares. And so Peter doesn't tumble to some kind of um, cultural movement or PC phrasing or equality legislation. No, he gets God's heart on the matter. And that's a different thing altogether. So can we just take a moment to let that sit with us and ask ourselves some questions? Because if Peter could have his essentially culturally racist attitude changed and challenged by the gospel, perhaps we need to let the same thing happen to us today, because I'm sure I'm not alone here, and I know I'm not immune from saying quietly in the core of my heart, or by a lack of action, oh, I don't think the gospel's for them. I can pay less attention to one group than another. Well, I'm ashamed to say it, but honestly, it is true. And human beings are naturally tribal. We, we like to belong to a group, and therefore it's the easiest way of doing that is by having an us and a, and a them. If you've got a them, you must have an us. It's me, it's us, and then it's the other. We're naturally like that. But because God does not show an ounce of favoritism, we need to take the gospel to all people. So let me put some, uh, some things in front of you here. Start with ethnicity, because that's what our, our passage is primarily about. Uh, how are we doing about taking the gospel to people in our community, our workplace, our family, who are Asian, who are white, who are black, who are European, who are Hispanic, who are whatever, a long list. What about age? How are we doing with that? Taking the gospel to people who are old and people who are young, people who are very old and people who are very young indeed. What about people who are homeless or have a criminal record? 
people who are victims of domestic violence, people who are addicts, people who are perpetrators of domestic violence, the disabled. What about people with uh, just a messy life for whom that they struggle to, to cope with it? What about people whose mental health is, is good and stable and people's mental health is really up and down? What about men, women, trans, LGBTQI, etc.? What about the poor and the rich? What about your CV needing five pages versus your CV on the back of half a postcard? And there are yet more groups I think I could talk about. Everyone needs to hear the gospel of a saviour whose heart is for them to hear the gospel. So where does your, where's your heart lean? Where, where does it lean towards? And where do you want to step back? I mean, it's natural to a certain extent that we, we get on with people who are like us because you speak a common language. You have cult, cultural touchstones which are sort of common experiences. And that, that's perfectly natural. And that's perhaps what we need to overcome to make sure we're not just speaking about things to people like us, but we're making sure we reflect God's heart and going to people who are different. So I've got to say, if you're sitting in the building today or you're at home on, uh, watching on YouTube, uh, I, just want, I just want to take a moment to apologize and say that I am sorry. I'm sorry if anybody here in church has ever given you pause for thought that the gospel may not be for you, that you're not welcome here to hear uh, from the Bible. Uh, I am sorry. Especially if on YouTube you are on YouTube because you think you're not welcome in the building. That, that's terrible, and I'm sorry. Anybody who accepts that repentance leads to eternal life is on level playing field in terms of the kingdom of God. There is no restrictions at all. And if you've been made to feel otherwise, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry personally, I'm sorry on behalf of church if we've not listened to Acts chapter 10. And Galatians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 21 and Matthew 28 and, and on and on. If we've not listened with an open heart, we need to stop and listen and repent and say we're sorry. If you've ever been put off by the way you've been treated in church, I'm sorry. That, that's wrong. That's sinful people, sinful but saved people rather than the Jesus who saves. Now, Christ, that doesn't mean, of course, that when you come to Jesus, you won't be challenged about things that are to do with your identity and your history and everything else about you. If you say Jesus is your saviour, you say he's your Lord as well, and, and that's going to put everything on the table as far as Jesus is concerned. But that's not ours to judge what issues get put on the table by people who come into God's kingdom. A mix of people just going to be a mix of struggles, isn't it? All of which require a deepening trust in Jesus. All of which means we need to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And we'll all get a hold onto our hidden idols and need Christian friends to draw alongside and loosen our grasp and take hold of Jesus more closely instead. And we as a church don't get to say what struggles we'll take on and what we won't. We share the gospel. God gathers his people. Friends, the good news of Jesus is just that because it's his news about him and it's his heart. Can I say, though, I think there are lots of ways in which we as a church get this right. I can see lots of different groups in church who work really hard at making sure the gospel gets heard by lots of different people. So women's ministry, men's shed, sharing lives, highway, 
the, the missionaries we support, youth work, friendship club, rainbow tots. There are lots of, of, of things we set up in church to try and make sure the gospel goes out to different people and that no one's left out. And that is wonderful, and that reflects God's heart. And that is great. I know there are individuals who spend a lot of extra time making sure that they, they seek out people, that they spend time with people. They open their lives, they open their homes, and they support people to hear the gospel. Again, that's wonderful. It reflects God's heart that we would do such things. It's great. But whatever we're doing, could we do better? Well, I know I could. Let me encourage you to think about that yourself. Because as a church, wouldn't it be terrible if we had a, a doctrinally correct gospel and a bit of a faithless heart in sharing it? God has to challenge Peter, Peter, to conform to the gospel. Two short things to finish with. Third thing, uh, God demonstrates that Cornelius has accepted this gospel, which is a great confirmation of what he's doing. He unmistakably signals it to everybody when Peter's finished by sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in every person who comes to know Jesus, every single person, but sometimes it's more visible than others. And here it's in Acts chapter 2. It's a day of Pentecost moment. It's a, it mirrors the start of the church. And in Acts, we find this a number of times where God wants to say, um, here, I'm doing something new with new people in a new place. And to confirm it's me doing it, it's not some kind of bizarre QAnon-style conspiracy religious movement, but I'm doing it, I will pour out my Holy Spirit in a visible way. So you will see it and know it's me. And in uh, verses 44 to 48, Peter sees it, and it's crystal clear that these Gentiles are fully accepted people, just like he was, and so he baptizes he baptizes them, a great sign of their dependence on him, their new life in him. And then finally, chapter 11. Uh, this isn't repetition because Luke was trying to reach some kind of word limit before he could hand his book in. I'm a teacher, I recognize that kind of thing. Um, now, what he's doing is he's uh, pointing out to us how the whole church is challenged and changed through this incident so that they can grasp the gospel more clearly. Because down in Jerusalem HQ, there are concerns that Peter's gone off the rails a bit. Ironically, they're worried that he's twisting the gospel by giving it to Gentiles, whereas actually they're twisting the gospel by not giving it to Gentiles. And so Peter has to explain what happened. Angelic message, the vision, his six witnesses who went with him to see all this happen, and the work of the Holy Spirit confirming that God was doing this. As they start in a place of suspicion and ignorance, they end in a place of wonder and praise. Verse 18 of chapter 11. When they heard this, they had no further objections. Just everything was dropped, every argument overcome. And they praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so the church is now changed by this one incident. And when Peter writes his letters, he addresses lots of different Christians in different situations slave and free, male and female, children and parents, all who know Jesus. And Paul writes in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, not any other means. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're not better because of anything. You're not worse because of anything. If you're in Jesus, you're in him. 
And so the church of the first century uh, became inclusive, not because of a wave of social change that's changed them. Actually, they swam against the tide in lots of respects because faith in Jesus includes you and the people of God. And they come to recognize that's what God wanted. And this, I think, is really authentic inclusivism. I see uh, lots of rainbows. Uh, back in the 80s, it was, uh, only one place you saw rainbows was on guitar straps of Christian worship leaders. Okay, and that was kind of, that was it. Uh, lots of rainbows I see today, uh, meaning lots of different things to different people. So whether you're an LGBT ally or a cancer charity supporter, whether you're supporting the NHS or your uh, mental health and thankfulness within that, and I'm sure I've missed out other things as well. But whatever those logos are about, as a church, we should be people who reflect a rainbow of experiences and histories, shouldn't we? Because that's the people Jesus is seeking. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From, here the redundancy here, every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Friends, there is, there is no football team allegiance, okay? There's no political party. There is no Olympic closing ceremony that can bring together people like the gospel of Jesus can. They're going to be from everywhere in heaven. And God is so much more authentically gracious in himself than we are. So, of course, when the Jerusalem believers see that, they praise God. And we need to praise God too this morning for exactly that. This is the God we worship. This is the God of the gospel. This is the God who calls us to himself wonderfully that he works like that. And every person here in the room is different. Every person listening online is different. And in that difference, it's a testimony to the wonder, uh, uh, graciousness of God. So praise God for the gospel of Jesus and share it with everyone. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, we often find it easy to give ourselves a bit of a, a, bit of a pass uh, to say that we're, um, we're good enough, our hearts are, are mostly there, and yet we open up your word to Acts 10 and we see Peter's heart challenged. We see your heart displayed, and we know we are far from that. So we ask, Father, you would help us by your Holy Spirit to mirror the Lord Jesus more closely in the way we think uh, and love people, in the way that we share the gospel, the life in Christ uh, with people. And we ask, Father, that by doing this in us, you would glorify yourself that more people may turn and praise you and say, what a great God who does these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.